Well, my name is Tammy. <laughs> so I always tell everybody, it, so you can remember my name, Tammy Faye Baker. I'm a pastor's wife. So just, I learn people by name association. So there's your association for me. But I'm not a Tammy Faye, just Tammy. And um, so thankful for the opportunity to meet with you this morning. And uh, I've met a few of you through the years, but not too many of you. And um, I'm typically uh, more of an expository teacher, just a verse by verse. And, um, but I thought that since this is our first time here, I'd just share a little bit of our story and uh, what God's done in our lives and what he's taught me. And I uh, hope that it can, you know, give you a word or two from it. Um, I'm, you probably know I live in California, but I don't sound California. And the reason for that is I was born in Gadsden, Alabama, and, uh, but I grew up in Atlanta. From the time I was two years old until I was 40, Atlanta was my home. And uh, we now live in the high desert, um, the Mojave Desert of Southern California. Uh, my story is I grew up in church. Um, I'm not a sex, drugs, and rock and roll testimony. I grew up in church. And uh, my family was there pretty much every time the doors were open. And I'm grateful for that heritage. I gave my life to Jesus at the age of 14. My mother led me to the Lord at the altar of our church. And uh, I grew up in a really strict church. Um, I would think you're in the Bible Belt so we grew up independent, Baptist, fundamental movement of the 70s. So if anybody knows what that is, your eyebrows are raised right now and uh, because it's been quite a journey. But rules didn't bother me. Um, if the pastor said don't, I didn't. If he said do it, I did it. And that was, just worked good with me. Randy and I grew up in the same youth group. And uh, same Christian school, we began dating my senior year. And uh, four years later, we were married. So I had just turned 21. He was still 19, so I've got a few years on him. And, but he had answered the call to ministry to be a pastor when he was just 14 years old. Uh, we grew up in a soul-winning church, and our church, actually, there were over 500 men and women that were called into ministry through it. It was quite an anointing for that day and that house. Um, so we got married really young, and um, I worked a job. He was in Bible college. He played basketball in college, so he went to school in the morning, basketball in the afternoon, and he worked a third shift security job. And uh, so he was in Bible college preparing for the ministry, but um, we fell away from the Lord, actually, in Bible college. And so that's not a place that guarantees you'll always live for the Lord. But we actually backslid. We gave, the enemy took the foothold of basketball and got into our lives. And you know, the Bible says, don't give any place to the devil because even this much is opportunity for him to come in and wreak havoc. And he did that. And I'm sure some of you have heard the saying, sin will take you further than you want to go and keep you longer than you want to stay. And that's what happened to us. And God, just in his goodness, he let us be stupid for a little while. I call it our stupid years. And uh, that's what he does. And it seems like he just says, look, it's not my will that you be here. But while you're here, I'm going to teach you something so that you never want to go back. 
And that's what he did. And during my teen years, um, I had been very committed to the Lord, and I had never participated in the party, partying or anything that my friends had. But these two years away from the Lord had shown me a part of the world I was not even familiar with. I didn't even know existed. And, uh, but the good news is that Jesus didn't just come to save us from hell. He came to save us from ourselves and from our own bad choices. So after these few years of living for our flesh and doing things our own way, um, a lot of things that God used, there are just so many things that God used because he said, that, okay, that's enough. That's enough. You're mine, and you're coming back. And so he, uh, the only way out of those corners he backs us into is coming through him, isn't it? And I love the scripture says it's his kindness that brings us to repentance. And, uh, but it don't feel like kindness in the moment, does it? Um, when God comes looking for you and you're right in the middle of your sin, it doesn't feel like kindness when you're cornered. And um, when I think about that, I just think about Adam and Eve, like when they sinned and when God came walking in the garden and said, Adam, where are you? Adam didn't run out and say, here I am, did I? Did he? He stayed hidden. He was scared. Um, and that's kind of the way we felt. It was like, oh, no. He knows now. But I love the image that when Adam and Eve saved, sinned, the very next thing we see is God walking in the garden, looking for them, setting out to restore them and to redeem them and to cover them. And our story is the same. Uh, God came to rescue us, and once he came and picked us up, he set us back on that rock that the Psalms talks about. And now, like as a 14-year-old giving her life to Jesus, I, you know, we, we didn't, I didn't wear pants back then. I didn't go to movies. I didn't listen to rock and roll. I, like I said, I didn't do what the pastor said, but I knew I needed a Savior. But now... Having spent time in the world, I understood what I'd been saved from in a deeper level. And somehow, that experience was bigger than my salvation experience. And we just couldn't get over the fact that no matter how far we had fallen away from the Lord, when we knew better, that he still wanted us. And we would just talk about that. It's like he still wants us. He still loves us. And I just couldn't get over that. He makes all things new and changes everything. And we just couldn't get enough of him. And Randy at that time was working um, for a trucking company. He was a manager in a trucking company. And he'd call me on his breaks. And he would just say, I just need you to, because the trucking industry can be really difficult <laughs> and vile. And he would just call and say, just read the scripture over me. Just share the word with me. And we had had our never going back moment. There's some, I don't know if you ever do United Pursuit stuff here or anything. We have a good friend who was with them, but they have this song called Never Going Back. And we had had our never going back moment. And God was just so good and kind to us that we, he placed us in the hands of a pastor who was just a mighty man of God. His name was Dr. John Moody. And he just shepherded us and protected us and discipled us and actually placed us in ministry immediately, like immediately. 
And so, you know, two weeks before, Randy had been snorting, snorting coke, and then two weeks later, he's a youth pastor. Like, it was like that. This, and I'm like, who does that? Like, what pastor? We would never do that. But, but this man heard from God, and he just uh, put us right back there. Well, anyway, fast forward, because I know we our time. But um, over the next year, after we recommitted our lives to the Lord, so much started happening. And we already had two daughters, and they were one and three. And seven months after we recommitted our lives to Christ, our third daughter was born prematurely and with very severe health defects and issues. And she was in the NIC unit for a while on a heart-lung machine for her first 13 months. She's three months old. I found out I'm pregnant again because, you know, <laughs> it just happened. And uh, but in all this is the point is right after we, like, life was kind of easy when we weren't living for the Lord. But after we recommitted ourselves to the Lord, I have a, you know, a, a child born with health needs. I'm pregnant again. My father-in-law was arrested, so my mother-in-law moved in with me. Um, my aunt, who was always more like my big sister, was in a severe car accident with a head injury. And Randy lost his job. I mean, it was just like on and on that once we got our lives right with God, just it just seemed like everything started going crazy, you know. And I think so many times that's not what is taught in our churches. It's like give yourselves to God and then your life will take a huge turn for the worst. But that's what happened with us. But it was during these monumental times in our lives that God was so faithful. And what he had done, we had wasted years. So he had put us on a fast track to really school us and to build us and to restore us. Because he wastes nothing. God wastes nothing. And so I learned to depend during this time on Joel chapter 2. And I want to read this passage to you. It says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, the cutter, the great army which I sent before you, and you shall eat plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. We felt so guilty. We had brought shame to the name of Christ during our wasted years. But God is so good here. He says, I am the Lord your God, and there is no one else. My people will never again be put to shame. And so just within two and a half years of our, us rededicating our lives to Christ, and at the ripe age of 26 years old, uh, Randy was voted into the role of senior pastor of our church. And it wasn't a real small church. It was like a church of 150, I guess. But 26 years old, and I think now, I don't know what those people were thinking, but, <laughs> but they did. And so he became there. We were there for seven wonderful years. And then um, this was a Southern Baptist church, which, you know, we love. And, um, but... The association that we were in, we'd had an encounter with the Holy Spirit, and so we left there to plant another church. And so Greater Hope Covenant Church was birthed. Again, we're in Atlanta, south of Atlanta. I'd lived within the 15 miles of the same place from the time I was two 
till this time, and it was my home, and my roots were there, and a lot of people go to Atlanta, and they don't like it because it's so big, but I loved it. We grew up in the city, and we love the city, and our families were there. Our friends were there. Um, our children, by this time, they're growing up, and they're passionate about Jesus, too, and uh, as they were even through their teen years, and, and life was so good. And I'm one of those people, when I take the pro personality profiles, it says she does not like change. So I don't like change. I like things steady. I'm married to somebody who could do something different every day of his life. But for me, I like steady. I like consistent. I like it that way. And, um, but God, <laughs> you know, but God, um, saw a need to move me from my comfort zone. Excuse me. I live in the desert, so I stay really dry. But God saw a need to take me out of that and to take us out of our comfort zone. And I don't know how your life goes, but in my almost 60 years, I'll be 60 in June, He's never asked me one time what I wanted to do or how I thought things should play out. And I'm sure when he just would take a look, he would say, no, you can screw that up royally. You let me direct your paths. And he did. So right in the middle of my life going really, really well, um, in 1999, Randy went on a mission trip to Thailand. And while he was there, he met a pastor from California. And this was something that God would use to shake up my life and our lives. And a few months after Randy had returned from Thailand, I was in my kitchen cooking dinner, and he told me, he said, you know what, Ron, who was the pastor's name from California, he said, Ron called, and he wants to know if I would take his church as the senior pastor so he can go into missions. He's like, what do you think about that? And I just thought, yeah, right. I was like, I've never even wanted to go to California. Like, who wants to go to California? <laughs> and why would God call a southern-born, southern-bred girl family to California? And I don't know if you have this saying in Oklahoma, but in the South, we say, southern-born, southern-bred, when I die, I'll be southern-dead. <laughs> and so that was my plan. <laughs> that was my plan. But um, it didn't make sense. And, like, I'm kind of embarrassed to say I didn't even pray about it because it just seemed so absurd. It's like, why would God do that? Like, it, why would he do that? And, um, so, and Randy agreed, and so he told Ron, no. You know, like, no, we're not at all interested. We assumed we would pastor in Atlanta all of our lives. It was our home, and we had planted this church. And we had invested, you know, not only money, but blood, sweat, tears, prayers, into this house we were in, and we love these people, and yet we are clay, and he's the potter. And when we belong to him, we're here for his good pleasure. He's not there for ours, which we sometimes think, but we're here for his good pleasure, and his ways are not our ways. And so, anyway, just kind of Randy, Ron continued to ask Randy for over a year, and Randy finally said, no but I'll help you find somebody. So we knew a young pastor, and so we arranged for them to get together. The plan was they hit it off, which they did, 
And then we just thought, okay, and we went out as part of an apostolic team to help install this other guy. And so we arrived. That We arrived in Victorville, California, and we checked into our hotel. And the next morning we were getting ready for church. And just, you know how the Lord just speaks, and it's like he just drops it on you. And Randy was shaving, and I'll never forget it as long as I live. I looked up, and I could see his reflection in the mirror. And just before I even had time to think about it, I said, I believe we're supposed to pray about coming here and taking this. Now, see, the plan's still going on for the other guy. But I looked up and I said that to him, and he froze, and he said, why are you saying that? And I just started crying. I said, I don't know, and I don't even want to talk about it, but I think we're supposed to pray about it. (laughs) So we went through the Sunday services, Sunday night services, everything you do when you're a guest, and, you know, you go to eat, you meet people and stuff. And the next morning, he had gone to meet with the, the elders from the church, the leadership team, and I stayed in the hotel room, and I had um, gone over, and I was sitting by the window, spending time with the Lord. And my girlfriend had given me a book on the way out. So this was like, you, you'll remember this book that got huge. It was called The Prayer of Jabez, right? And so my girlfriend had given me that to take on the trip. And so I just, dumb me, I pulled it out and decided to pray it. <laughs> I was like, I'll just pray this prayer because we're supposed to pray scripture. So um, so I opened it up and I said, Oh, Lord, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hands would be with me and you would keep me from evil and I may not cause pain. And as sure as I'm talking to you this morning, I heard God say, This is your new territory. And it froze me in my tracks and it shook me. And you would think that when the creator of the universe speaks to you, you'd find comfort in his words, but I didn't find comfort that day, even though I knew it was directly from him, himself. But I've learned that even when you don't like what God has to say to you, that his words are the truth and the building blocks of our lives, and they're stable and secure even when they're shaking you to your core. We don't have to like or we don't have to agree when he tells us to do something, but we do have to obey. As followers of Jesus, we have to obey. If we're followers of Jesus, we follow him. The problem is is that sometimes we just want to lean to what seems right. It didn't seem right to me that God would call this Atlanta girl 2,000 miles away, but yet... When God was speaking, he was saying California. Anyway, in the next few days, we were in California, and it became clear to us, to both of us, that God was calling us. But we got on a plane to head back to Atlanta, and I can remember the pastor and his wife were saying, we needed, because they wanted us, they had decided, no, this guy isn't the guy, you're the, you're the one, Randy. So everything was happening simultaneous, and they are trying to say, we need an answer, we need an answer. And I said, I don't make decisions at camp. You know, like when you go to youth camp and everything's going on and it's like, you know, you surrender to go to Africa, you know, at youth camp. And so I said, we don't make those kind of decisions here. I need to get home 
so we can hear clearly. But we knew. We knew God had called us. So we arrived home, and at that time our children, our oldest daughter was in the 12th grade. Um, This was in January of 2001, which was monumental. (laughs) Our oldest daughter was in the 12th grade. The next one was 10th grade. The next one's 8th grade. The next one's our, our son was in the 7th grade. And they were waiting up for us when we got home. <clears throat> and we had decided that they needed to be part of the process because their lives were going to change too. And so we had taught them how to hear God, and they needed to hear God for themselves. And so as we sat in the den in our family meeting that night, Randy just said to them, we believe that our family is supposed to pray about the possibility of going to California And our oldest daughter, Jessica, spoke up. She said, we've already been talking, and we've already been praying, and we know God's called us. So a few days later, we met with our parents, and um, I'll never forget as long as I live that my mother, as we told our, our parents, my mother said to me, she said, I would rather have you on the other side of this country in the center of God's will, the next door to me out of it. And that day she meant it. But obedience comes with a price. Disobedience comes with a price, but obedience comes with a price too. And it's a high cost. And now 20 years later, we understand more of that than we did in 2001. We buried my grandmother We buried both of Randy's parents. My mother now has dementia, and my father and my sister care for her while I'm 2,000 miles away. So, but we had to obey the call. And so we didn't move to California for seven months because we were letting our daughter graduate with her class and getting our church secure. And when we first moved, church is all excited. The previous pastor had been there 13 years. They're all excited. They love us. It's like new pastor, new ideas, new plan. And then, you know, after just a little bit, they decide you're not really that great after all. (laughs) So I could go through the stories of just the horrendous things that we actually went through. Uh, The pastor who had spent all these, that time, those months, over a year of begging us to come, decided we weren't the ones. And uh, he actually orchestrated a church split with the children's pastor. And uh, pastor's wife's calling people in my church, just complaining about Randy and I. And there's just like so much stuff that happens. And it wasn't fun. And we felt really alone. And I remember one day we were driving, just me and Randy, and it's just like we just had each other. Our family, we just had each other. And uh Randy said, do you still believe God's called us here? And kind of tongue-in-cheek, I said, I do, but I think he forgot where he put us <laughs> because you didn't even feel him that much. But um, I'd never had a depression problem with depression in all my life. I don't even know if I'd ever had a bad day. <laughs> I'm sure I did, but I'd never had a problem with depression, but I was just in a down- downward spiral. And I couldn't talk to anyone because when you're the new pastor's wife, you don't know who your friends are and you really aren't even sure you have any. 
and um, I couldn't talk to my parents because they would just worry. My sisters weren't living for the Lord at that time, you know, so I couldn't talk to them. And my kids were teenagers, and my husband had, was just balancing everything he could. And so I felt very alone and just very abandoned, to be quite honest. Even though I knew I wasn't, I felt it. And one day I called my best friend from Atlanta. Her name was Rosalind. She lives in Dallas now. And um, I was just telling her the latest wound that had been inflicted on me, my latest story. And um, just like a true friend would do, she sympathized with me for a bit. And then she said, I'm sorry you're going through this, but God's called you there. So get up and do what you're supposed to do and quit feeling bad for yourself. And I just think, what a true friend that was, that she didn't just crawl into my gutter of grievances with me and sympathize with me, but she got up on the bank and showed me how to get out. So I decided from that to dig in and obey God and demonstrate obedience to my children who needed to watch their mother walk through hard things so they would know how to walk through hard things and love God and love his people. And God called me to love people who didn't love me back. And so there's a saying that we live our lives by. It's, it's kind of our family motto is um, anything above burning in hell is a privilege. So, and isn't that so true? Anything above burning in hell is a privilege. So on, when I would have a bad day and tell Randy my story or he'd have a bad day and tell me his story, we'd just look at each other and go, anything above burning in hell is a privilege. And so that's kind of the way we coached each other through these things. Well, we all have those times when are difficult. And, like, it's so much, I think, just what I do or catch myself doing, even subconsciously, is kind of rehearsing my credentials to the Lord. Like, God, I did this. I did this. I gave up all of this. Like, this is what I get. But it's not about our credentials. It's about the cross, isn't it? Well, over the next few years, the church doubled in size, and we were running well over a 1,000 on a consistent basis. So on the outside, it looked really, really good. And actually, great things were happening. We were having a wonderful outpouring of the work of the Lord and people being saved and marriages being restored and people called into the ministry, which is so exciting because that's our heritage and just a lot of good stuff. But then the financial fall of 2008 came. And being in the, the high desert of Southern California, we were on the top under Vegas, I think, for taking the hit, the worst, with people moving out of state for work because there were just not jobs in California. And over a period of two years, we lost 200 families. Not 200 people, 200 families within two years, and it seemed like every Sunday we were bringing people up, praying for them. I mean, they were doing the right thing that they had to do for their family and blessing them, 
and then they were moving, most of them moving to Texas. We actually lost them to Oklahoma, too. So we didn't like you guys for a while, <laughs> but we really don't like Texas. <laughs> but they provided jobs for our people. And, um, and so just to be honest, like, that was hard. That was really hard. We had left everything to be obedient to the call and move 2,000 miles away to a culture and a state that was completely different from who we were and what we knew. And now our families are getting older. There are, our parents' health's declining. And with all of that, you just fit, and now our church is just rapidly decreasing to something, not church problems, just something we couldn't do anything about, the economy. And um, I just learned during that time of just crying out to the Lord, of saying, what are you doing? Like, what is going on here that the result of obedience is not always prosperity? And when you look in the scripture at the great men of God, uh, the obedient ones often found themselves in a mess, right? Like Joseph obeyed and was thrown into the pit and sold into slavery. David's anointed king, and they had to go hiding in a cave. Jeremiah preached his whole ministry and never had a single convert. How crazy is that? John the Baptist prepared the way for the Messiah and then was beheaded. So being in obedience, being in the will of God, may look like forsaken sometimes, but it's not forsaken because he never forsakes us. And our outward circumstances can deceive us and lie to us. And the lesson that God is teaching me now, where I am today, is that, because we never learn it all, right? It's like a constant until we are in the presence of Jesus himself physically one day. It's that it's not just enough to obey, but it's to remain in a posture of obedience, that that's where you live your life, is in a posture of obedience. And remaining and abiding in him does not come with a time limit to qualify us to get what we think we deserve. So we don't get to say, okay, God, I did this for you. I sacrificed this for you. I gave this up for you. So you should repay me by doing this. And I don't think we, we physically process it that way, but we live it that way sometimes. We subconsciously, we do that when difficult things happen to us. It's like, but why? Like, I'm living for the Lord. You know, like, why would, why would you let this happen to me? But the outcome is his call. It's not ours. It's his call, whatever it looks like. And we, we must learn to focus not just on what he gives or takes away, we, f we just focus on the will of God and being obedient and s remaining in obedience. One of the things I learned is that in my church, you know, I got, we got cut in half in size and attendance. But my daughter said to me one day, she said, Mom, you can, and I would just grieve, like, because I'm a people person. Like, I love people. I love being with them. I love hearing their stories. And so when you're investing your life, like my life, it's not really my life, it's what he's done in my life, but when you're investing into people and they move, I would just grieve. And my daughter said to me one day, she said, Mom, you've got to stop looking at who's left and look who's here. 
And it just like hit me. I said, oh my goodness. And I looked and what God had done to grow these men and women of God who may have been sitting, but when we were having leaders leave, they had to step up into leadership. And so God was building them and that learned to excite me. And our, just our ministry verse uh, especially for our women's ministry at the church, is John 15, 4 through 9. These beautiful words from Jesus, abide in me. See, that's what living in a posture of obedience, remaining in obedience is abiding in him, like living in him. So Jesus says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. You can't bear fruit unless you're abiding in him, living in him, living for him, but living in him. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Man, I learned that quick. Apart from him, I can do nothing. If anyone does not abide me, he's thrown away. Who wants to be thrown away? Raise your hand if you want to be thrown away. Yeah, nobody, right? So the alternative is we keep abiding in him. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, his words abide in us, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. For my by this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and then you prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, that's the way I've loved you. Abide in my love. A place to live, abide. We are to live in Christ and in obedience, not just visit obedience, not just check it that we did it, but live there and abide there and plant ourselves in a life of obedience. The Apostle Paul writes, whatever state you're in, be content. Well, I had to learn to be content in California, <laughs> and I know that's not what he was talking about. And it's, it's just so interesting because it, everybody has a perception of California, and so much of it is, you know, we give you Pelosi, we give you Kamala, like, it's okay, so, so Schumer, like, we, okay, we get that, but um, I know when we first moved there, the pastor who'd been there um, before us, he said, see, Tammy, everybody in California is not surfer dudes, and I said, yeah, and everybody in the South don't matter, marry their cousins, but, you know, some of them do, but not all of us. But, um, but California is important to God, and I like to share this wherever I go and because God's called us there, and it's our mission field. And I'm very passionate about this state. There's a saying that says, as goes California, so goes the nation. So don't write us off. Like, pray for us, because California will influence the nation and the world, and we need prayer. And what a lot of people don't realize is that Every great move of God in the last 120 years has started in California and swept the nation. So the Jesus movement started in California and swept the nation.
the Billy Graham Crusades started in Los Angeles, swept the nation. Calvary Chapels, California, swept the nation. Vineyard, regardless of what opinions anyone may have of some of these, that they changed our nation for a period of time. And we're believing for another great move of God there. California wasn't my choice, but it was God's choice. And I encourage you that wherever God has planted you, he plants and he places you in family. Stay planted there. And then just I want to close with whatever. That's my story. That's kind of the things I've gone through. So many of you have been through things much more difficult. You know, our stories are all different. And God requires more of some but he requires something of all of us to lay down. And what I would just encourage you is to always look for those treasures that he has. And I have two life passages. One, Psalms 78, because I'm so passionate about raising a generation that serves Jesus all of their lives. And I believe with everything in me it's possible. We can... God will answer that prayer of Jesus and that he prayed in the garden one day, that may they be one as you and I are one. So for the church to be one, but my first verse that is just my heart is Psalm 78 about raising children and that we will tell the next generation the praises of the Lord, even the children yet to be born, so that they'll raise up. But the one that is just my go-to all the time that I want to close out with is Isaiah 45. So if you have your Bibles, let's take this. And it may be something that you've already marked up. I have notes all over my Isaiah 45. But regardless of the difficult things God may have required of you, This is our wealth right here. And the prophet Isaiah writes, I will give you the treasures in darkness. So the darkness may be of your own making or it may not be of your own making. It doesn't matter. Isaiah 45, 3, I will give you the treasures in darkness. God has treasures in darkness. And the hidden wealth in the secret places. Because you know what? When you're in those secret places, when you're in the place of being alone, feeling like you're abandoned, like feeling like there's no one who understands or who's been through what you've been through, this word, God's word is true. And he tells us he has treasures there and he has hidden wealth there in those secret places. So why? So that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name. You're not alone. You may feel alone, but your feelings will lie to you. Your feelings will deceive you. You're never alone because it's so that the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name, he knows who you are, and he knows what he has planned for you. Verse 4. I call you by your name. Not only that, he said, I named you. I named you. Though you do not know me, 
I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. And then these next verses I find such comfort in. And they can kind of, uh, they can cause us some conflict in our Christian ease language. <laughs> you know, sometimes we just say Christian ease language. That's really not even biblical. But he says, I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. I form light and I create darkness. I make well-being, and I create calamity. We don't like to say God creates calamity and darkness, do we? But that's what the prophet writes here, and we know the word of God is true. And he says, I am the Lord who does all of these things. And for me, it didn't make me go, why do you create darkness? Why do you create calamity? It just gave me peace to know that if he's creating those, He's holding me there in those places. He is the author there, and he's holding us there. And may that just give you peace to know, regardless of what you're going through, what God requires of you, that he creates everything for his good will and his good pleasure. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I just bless these precious women who have come out a little early this morning. God, I ask that your hand be on their families. Father, I pray for these precious uh, mothers, Lord, who are raising their children right now. God, I pray that you fill them with your peace, with your strength, with your boldness, with your courage, with your word. Father, I pray that you quicken their mind, that they're able to hear you, as you direct them on how they raise these children, how they, um, they help form paths, direct paths, Lord, that you have laid out for them. God, fill them with your assurance, Lord. God, may these children, Lord, worship Jesus all of the days of their lives. May they not um, enter periods of time when they walk away from him, but may they serve Jesus all of the days of their lives. Lord, I thank you for these seasoned women, Father, who are who I'm in the same place in life that they are, Lord, where we've raised our children and, and we're grandmothers now, or maybe even just spiritual moms and spiritual grandmothers. Father, I just pray, God, that you forever continue to be the lifter of their heads. Lord, we thank you that you set us on the course you have for us. May we just rest in that. May we find pleasure in that. And God, you're so good. And just thank you so much for the privilege of serving you and serving your people. In the name of Jesus, we ask it, Lord. Amen. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen to the New Covenant Fellowship podcast. We want to connect with you. You can visit us online at ncfokc.org for more information about our church. God spoke to you and you'd like prayer, please text us at 405-518-5164 and we will get back with you. God bless and have a great day.